Misfit Toys. Welcome to episode 672 with my guest, John Marco Ceresi. Uh, this is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. And this show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist, not a doctor's office, more like a waiting room that doesn't, uh, doesn't blow. Uh, the website for this show is metalpod.com. Metalpod, also the social media handle you can follow us at. Um, we are at, uh, those of you that listen to the podcast weekly or semi-weekly know that uh, I've been pleading for uh, some financial support. And some of you have been stepping up on Patreon, and I really, really appreciate that. You can donate or commit to as little as a dollar a month and every bit helps. We're at about 828 monthly patrons and we've kind of plateaued and we really need to get to about 1,500 donors a month for the podcast to uh, to break even. And um, there, there you have it. So if you get if you get benefits from this podcast and you find it to be a valuable thing for you to listen to, uh, I would just ask that uh, you show your appreciation. And if not, I know a lot of people are suffering financially out there. If not, I totally understand and don't feel guilty uh, about it. I'm just glad you're listening. This is from the Ask Paul Anything survey, and this is uh, pronounced by Lee Ron. And... Uh, he writes, uh, I struggle to get a diagnosis all my life. I've heard things other people cannot and see things they can't. I can hear voices and the static of a TV chit-chatting with one another about mundane things. If I lean over and press my ear to the window of a moving car, I hear bells and a voice directing them. When it's cold, I can feel the ground breathing, hear it too an exhale and inhale that rumbles faintly and sends vibrations up my legs. I can see little bunnies and mice made of smoke and light who live peacefully in my home. I'm aware they aren't real, but take comfort in talking to them sometimes. Often I see spiders where there aren't any, or when I'm trying to sleep, feel phantom hands on my shoulders or in my hair. I have no trauma that would lead to this. I've been told by therapists who I genuinely trust that I do not meet the diagnostic criteria for any mental illness. But when I hear hail screaming at me or fireworks claw at my arms, I have anxiety attacks and it's so, so hard to pretend everything is fine. What do I do? Who do I go to for help? I want to live without these anxious episodes. Wow. Uh... Leron, I am not a therapist, but I have to tell you, hearing you say this, uh, I'm baffled as to why your therapists wouldn't recommend that you go see a psychiatrist. Um, you have not mentioned um, using drugs because uh, often uh, states of, of psychosis can happen when somebody's in the late stages of an addiction to you know, crack cocaine or meth, where they hear things, they see things. But you haven't mentioned any kind of drug abuse in here. So I would highly, highly recommend you go see a psychiatrist and get an opinion from them. But um, brother, thank you for, for filling that out. 
This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by Jamie. And uh, Jamie writes uh, about their anxiety. Feeling like I need to crawl out of my skin, like my body is something that needs to be escaped, an empty shell that has been eating away at my self-confidence and ability to pass as a normal person for decades. Thank you for that, Jamie. This is a uh, struggle in a sentence filled out by our friend uh, Couch Potato and about her depression. She writes, I'm so thirsty, but the kitchen is so far away. Guess I'll just die. I think a, I think a lot of us have been in that place, man, where you just feel frozen. This is from the Ask Paul Anything survey filled out by a woman who calls herself, we'll be celebrating Christmas with my best friend, my dog. And uh, what would you like to ask Paul? I'm feeling very alone in this world, and I'm wondering if it's possible to build a life from that. My family has been okay on the surface for many years, but it's starting to crack more and more. I'm single. Will I make it? I have so much fear. I fear I will be alone forever like I felt throughout my childhood. I fear all the resentment and the drama in my family has made me such a nervous wreck and I won't be able to make it on my own and create my own family. Any hope, any tips? First of all, I'm sorry that you're experiencing that. And for many, many people, their family of origin is not a safe place to grow, to heal, to feel safe, uh, to feel seen. And so um, when you say creating your own family, I don't know if you mean having children or if you mean finding a support group that feels like a family. And as far, you know, if you were talking about creating a family of your own, my personal opinion would be to um, find to work on yourself before you bring kids into this world. Um, and if you're looking for a family, a tribe, uh, I think that is a great idea and to keep trying it. And I think support groups are a great way to do that. And so identifying, um, what, particular support group would be a good place to start. Um, but I think you would find a lot of compassion and understanding. And uh, I know it's hard to trust when the family of origin was not a safe place to trust. But I, I really believe in my bones that your tribe is, is out there and it's just a matter of sticking with trying different support groups. This is an email uh, that just says, uh, th there's just a subject line and it says, seniors love this dirty bedroom trick. And um, I'm a little confused as to why it's blank. And so I thought I would fill it in. You know, I'm I'm 60. I think that's considered a senior. So uh, I'm just going to share some of the, the things that I think are hot. Um, I am a big fan of staying up extra late so that you can have sex at 7 p.m. Uh, 
I love doing a role play where uh, I pretend to be a waiter and my girlfriend pretends that she's a customer and uh, she asks me if the halibut is fresh. If you've never tried it, send nudes from your AOL accounts to each other. Sometimes we'll we'll just hold hands on the couch for like two hours and try to remember what last week's safe word was. Um, sometimes, and, and this can, this can be really hot, is uh, I'll make obscene phone calls to her from my rotary phone and I'll just keep doing doing it until her answering machine cassette is packed. And then I think probably my my favorite one is I dress up as her favorite AM radio host and I pretend to read the weather and the forecast is always me saying the next hour is going to be really, really hot. So those are just some ones that you might consider. And I hope the person that sent that blank email is listening. This is from the body shame survey and this is filled out by angel bunny is that the name the body shame survey i don't have the uh yeah body shame survey and she writes i've grown to be in a bit of a complicated relationship with my body historically i've hated it all of it i've always been overweight and the older i got the bigger i got i'm now classified as morbidly obese and have for a while now The things I hate most about my body are my weakness and not being able to fit. Earlier this year, I made an attempt to make friends. I I met a girl who was also overweight, and she invited me to her workout class. I gave it a shot only to have it end in a mortifying way. The majority of exercises worked out the legs, and a few times I had to get on and off the floor. I struggled getting off the floor, even the first time. By the third time, I was hardly making it up off the ground. Well, at the end of the class, there was a cool down that involved getting on the floor to stretch. By the time that was done, I tried getting up off the floor, and I absolutely couldn't. There was zero strength left in my legs, and my body felt like it weighed a ton. My friend and the instructor Both tried helping me off the ground, but not even that worked. I had my first panic attack in that moment. I couldn't breathe at all. I kept trying to inhale, but nothing was happening. I felt like I was going to die. I started crying. I was trapped in this heavy, horrible body. Honestly, there's no words to describe what I really felt then. So helplessly heavy. It felt like a horrible nightmare. I was encouraged to lay down on the floor, and my friend lied, lied down beside me. Eventually, I was able to get up, but I was so humiliated. I didn't go back to that class. There are so many other instances daily where I'm constantly reminded how weak I am while my body is so heavy. I hate carrying it. I want to cut it all off me. I hate that I can't fit into so many things. I can only buy clothes online. Bras don't fit me right. I look like a huge slob no matter what, especially when I see myself in a store window or some unexpected reflection. I see this huge monster, this round yet manly figure. I want to be a girl. I want to look like a woman. I feel like I've never looked feminine. Now, where the complication comes in, 
A way I started building confidence in my body was to sexualize it. I started posting nudes online and actually got a lot of attention from men, even some really gorgeous fit men. It led to me having sex for the first time at 25 years old this year. Finding at least 15 men to have sex sex with before half the year was over. That specifically liked my fat body. I'm at a place now where when I'm naked, I can see that my body is beautiful at times. I don't completely hate how it looks, but I do hate how it feels. I know I need to lose weight, especially now since I'm pre-diabetic, but there's a big part of me that thinks the guys I've, quote, collected, unquote, won't be interested in me anymore since they are attracted to my fat body. What I do like about my body comes from it being sexualized. I don't fully like this because I want to think I look good in clothes and not just naked. That must be really, really emotionally complicated. And, um, you know, one of the things that I hear um, trans women in particular share uh, is the objectification where the attention that they get from partners or flings is uh, is they feel like an object. They don't feel like the person is seeing the real them. It's just a fetish. And I, I can see how that would feel uh, empty. I thank you for, for filling that out. I, I appreciate it. We're going to take a quick break and see if we have any sponsors. And then finally, this is in a... Um, survey filled out by, this is an awful moment filled out by a guy who calls himself Journeyman Todd. And he writes, I filled out a shame and secret survey months ago. I laid it all out there, even more transparency than I had in any single therapy session. This included details about how I feel like I'm in a marriage that feels more like roommates than partners. Recently, my wife and I were on an out-of-state road trip I was listening to the podcast, streaming it over the car speaker so I can see where this is going. My wife playing a game on her phone, half listening. I heard you read my pseudonym. I froze. I couldn't remember exactly what it said. I flushed with panic. My, my entire body grew uncomfortably hot. Why not just play cool and change the fucking show? But I simply froze, riveted, hearing my own words. I listened with horror and fascination as you read the surgically precise survey. Your voice, my words, eviscerated my emotional bowels, splaying them out on full display for anyone, uh, for anyone and everyone who cared to listen. I found myself stress sweating. My wife looks up from her phone at one particular part, smiles at me as to acknowledge a familiarity between me and the survey. My stomach turned with a certain fuck me wave of nausea. She looks at me and asks uneasily, did you send this one in? I said, what? No, I couldn't bear to hear my own survey read to anyone like that. The next 45 minutes was a gross combination of excruciating silence and the awkward rhythm of an Iowa freeway. My consciousness might be disintegrating. 
heavy weighted blanket on my brain. Symptomatically. And I can't think straight. Things present themselves for a reason. And I can't see straight. I couldn't even drive. The first movie that I remember watching with him. Post-traumatic stress. When I was like five years old was Pulp Fiction. <laughs> and moral injury. I would act out the scenes. Gonna go to hell. Or... With my Barbies. <laughs> The greatest source of our suffering Ordinary is where all the good stuff happens Is our unwillingness to experience and accept our emotions It's very hard to heal in dark isolation I developed compassion It is in connection and community where that happens The process was nearly unbearable Like, I'm gonna have to kill myself We'll be right back after this <laughs> I'm here with uh, John Marco Ceresi Did I pronounce that correctly? Uh, yeah, you said it with an interesting cadence, but Did you I? pronounced it. That, no, it's fun. Have me. fun with it. That's that, what all the syllables are for. <laughs> that's me anticipating the stumble that I'm afraid will make you think I don't care and will ruin the podcast. Is that future tripping? Uh, what'd you say? Is that future tripping? Me me worried about uh, misspelling your don't, don't worry about mispronouncing it. your name. And the then things you people have said as, as crazy. So you, you couldn't mess it up more than yes. others do. Uh, you you live in New York. Just share that that moment from your your stand up bit. The thing you overheard the people talking about what they're going to go get for dinner. Yes, and you were sitting near them. And and what did you hear them say? Uh, they said they said uh, they said. Oh, I think that lanky Jew is listening to our conversation. <laughs> oh my God! Only in New York City. Only in New York. Yeah, your I watched your Just for Laughs uh, set. Uh, it's so funny. Thank you. It's so funny. I really, really enjoy your stand-up. Uh, your publicist reached out to me um, to ask if uh, I'd be interested in having you on the podcast, and uh, and I said, well, the you know the kind of the heart of the podcast is talking about things that are difficult, you know, mm. mental or emotional struggles, past or present. And I said, is is there anything that he'd be willing to talk about that would kind of be in that. And she said, well, he's a child of divorce. And you touched on that a little bit in your, uh, in your standup set. Um, once, once, uh, America's got talent, you know, we were submitting and trying to get on and they said, what's his story looking for the sob piece. And we said, child of divorce. And they were like, okay, anything that hasn't happened to half the fucking world. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, oh, well, my parents are sad, but I didn't get it didn't get it so so you know it is it is a thing but it's a thing that a lot of us well have gone through you know there's there's a lot of topics that we've covered on the podcast um but the you know, the the thing that i think is important is how it affects mm -hmm. each of us the the ripples of it because there's always some vibe to a story, you know, somebody's one person's depression may not look the same as someone else's depression. Their coping mechanisms sure. that they develop may be different than uh, that other persons. And I think I have a real variety, like because uh, my my father like dated a lot and had a lot of women in and out of my life. I had that segment of the divorce. My mom and stepdad were together until I was like eighteen, and then I witnessed their divorce and my younger half siblings. Uh, how they dealt with that divorce. So I feel like the, the, the only, the, the only uniqueness is, is I saw it. I saw divorce at like two different ages mm -hmm. and I saw half siblings on both sides go back and forth and cope with all that thing. So I think I've just seen it from a lot of different vantage points. Was there, um, 
instances of using the children to lash out at the ex? Yeah, I think it was it was probably most toxic when I was when I was a kid where there was like um my father would when I was a kid my dad was like he was my idol and partly because he was like a single dad so I think he he would he would probably go on dates and work when I was at my mom's and then when I was there we would just hang out and he would buy me whatever the fuck I wanted oh he and was he, that dad oh he was that dad a hundred oh this mom's house has something I don't have tell me and I will buy it today oh she must have resented him oh for sure and um and he was like my my stepdad my mom married uh when i was four to my dad's former lawyer and uh he was strict the, the lawyer that that was not, in the divorce? not the divorce lawyer that no. had been a double heap of no on stage yes in real life no gotcha just a regular lawyer some kind of contract shit and um basically their house was the strict house and my dad's house was like watch whatever i want eat whatever i want and whenever I would be at my uh, mom and stepdad's house, my dad would always call uh, during the evening for like, you know, our check-in call, which would last like an hour. Mm-hmm. And was was mom during the week, dad on the weekend? Uh, pretty much. It was, uh, to, to be super specific about it, it was mom's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, dad's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Mom's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Dad Thursday, Friday, Mom Saturday, Sunday. Gotcha. Two week cycle that repeated. Gotcha. So more weekends on with dads, sort of a bastardized weekend with mom. Gotcha. Um, which I think they probably took. My mom might have taken it because it seemed like more time on paper, but ultimately those school days you don't see him. You don't see him. So so my dad definitely got the better end of that deal i would say yeah and so you were starting to say the phone calls so my dad would call me um every night and we would talk for an hour so so i'd be at my mom's house i'd be at my stepdad's house but then at night the moment my dad called i would i would drop everything run to the phone talk to him uh and and my mom claims that my dad would even go so far as to time the call or purposefully do it during dinner time just to fuck with everything um do you think that was true i it's it's really hard my whole adulthood has has been like finding out things i thought my dad was loving about were more manipulative and like aimed i don't think so though i think he is like needy and i think he called at night and and he, he he didn't give it any thought. I don't think he thought like, let me call after dinner. Let me call before. So he's dinner. a little self-absorbed. Oh, a massive, massive, deep clinical narcissist. Oh well, there we go. Absolutely, that to me is a lot more interesting than the child of uh, sure of divorce. I've always felt like my my parents and both of them had the like uh, Eugene O'Neill level fucked up families. And I'm that next generation of being raised by these people who were deeply traumatized. My dad's dad, who I never met, had a second family, cheated, hit. Uh, uh, I, I have I have an uncle who was molested. My 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 mom always suspects that my father was molested too, but we don't know about it. Alcoholics in the, in the family, and then on my mom's side, both her parents were alcoholics. Um, hell hellish 
I think like so fucked up they 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 were too fucked up to be come stand up comedians and I'm like just below the trauma level <laughs> where I could be like well let's make this funny right uh, was it your grandfather that emigrated from Italy I think it was my great grandpa again because I think partly because the family is so disjointed I don't know a lot about my family history um, I know my great grandpa's name was Luigi I know he like represented some boxers. Uh, mafia ties, I don't know, but definitely like not legit. Gotcha. I've never done the DNA test, which thank God they just released how like someone got all the data and now they're tracking all the Jews. So uh, some Italian, don't know much. And then mom's side is is Jewish, but I don't really know much past my grandparents. I had uh, people reach out to me that, that uh, they're uh, kind of amateur, passionate just want to research people's genealogy and they'll pick people and they'll say, you know, we'll, we'll do it for free with your consent. And they go really fucking deep. One of the things they found about my family is I, my great uncle was robbed by rodeo clowns. Really? <laughs> yeah. Like it was you in should... the newspaper. There's an article like, yes, be, be on the lookout rodeo clowns. Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, I should put you in contact with them because I think you would be a perfect candidate to get your genealogy done, and they love doing it. I'd be fascinated. I, I, I've, I've never felt. I, I would love to have the moment. You know, I opened some book. And uh, uh, there, there's my great, great, great grandfather in Sicily. He was a clown and he made all the boys and girls laugh. And I'd be like, oh, my God, it's me. But I, I think I was just I grew up so separate from my my immediate family or, or extended family that I, I it's hard to be moved by it. My I mean, speaking of interesting history, my, my mom's parents before my mom was born, uh, some guy broke into their house, shot my grandpa in the head. He survived bullet in his head. And then kidnapped my grandma, who was, like, pregnant with one of my uncles at the time. And you read about this, like, you know, when I'm 18 and I'm like, oh, if, if we lived in a more cohesive family, this would be the lore of the family. Right. Like, we'd, you'd tell me the story when I was six and I'd go, holy shit. And I'd look at my grandpa with a, a newfound reverence. But instead, I, I remember my grandfather as just a smoker who played Tetris every hour that I was there. You know, old computer, green blocks. Yeah. Just until he died. So what do you, if you could put into words the feeling that you had of this <clears throat> kind of scattered, uncohesive, extended family, what, how could you put that into words to, to help us kind of understand uh, what was going on inside you? I think... First, there's a real um, I, I because I had these two I had, I lived in two very different universes going back and forth. They were very different experiences. So I think I just felt uh, I I don't want to use the word homeless, but 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 just um, untethered, un, un, unmoored. Would that be correct? Yeah, unmoored. Yeah, yeah. where I I would have my big duffel bag that I would pack with video game systems and action figures and Pokemon cards and Pogs, whatever the fuck I was collecting at the moment. And like that was my center of moving my life with me back and forth between these two houses. And at, at my mom's house, I lived in anxiety of my stepfather who, who didn't hit but was like intimidating and strict. Intense. Intense, 
uh, I'd I'd like you to stay on this floor for the, for the next couple hours. Like, don't go up to your room or like put on your shoes in the house. Like, like weird, weird kind of control things or if like him making you go with him to the grocery store or shopping for chores to me that was the worst thing that could happen to a human being because there was just no fun there was it was just a constant don't touch anything don't touch anything and you're like well why am i here and then on my dad's side when i was a kid i really enjoyed it because i spent all so much time with my dad but looking back i'm i'm like oh my dad had no friends was was clinically depressed and I just sat on the couch with him watching Seinfeld, which is great. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I was alone. We didn't do things. My father let me quit the swimming team because I said the pool was too cold. He let me quit karate because I said it was too early on Saturdays. And at the time, I thought, oh, he, I'm feeling uncomfortable. He's taking care of me. And I look back and I'm like, he just didn't want to fucking drive to Rockville <laughs> to take me to the swim practice. I know it. I know it. And And... I think he had he had he had a lot of love. I, I used to sleep in his bed. I had nightmares, and I would always like go into his how, room. How old were you when you were sleeping? In oh, his bed? I I mean, probably up to like twelve, yeah, thirteen, and I it, it, it look. I mean, at the time, I loved it. You know, he 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 gave me so I, I felt when I felt existential and nervous and angsty, like he would calm it down. He really was this this pillar. Uh, but then when I was um, maybe 12, 13, 14, he had my little sister with, with a woman that ultimately they, looking back, he cheated, but, but they broke up. And the way that my dad had rained affection onto me, he like an, an absurd amount, a kind that's just, you know, you're spoiling a kid. I saw him then rain it on to my little sister and I became very secondary to like, the wants and needs of a three-year-old. And that was kind of the beginning of the whole shift in our relationship. Did that then make you feel different in hindsight about the affection or attention that you got? Did it kind of diminish it in your mind or did you just long for it to come back? I think when I was a teenager uh, and and in my 20s, I, I thought that I with my intellect had risen above bad habits or like, like, like for example, we would go out to eat and my little sister would just want to eat butter noodles. I mean, constantly, constantly. And, and I always would be like, you're indulging this, this behavior. And, and we're, we're only going to places where they'll give her the fucking butter noodles. And it feels like you're doing it because you didn't get joint custody with your ex, and so you want to make sure that she like love. But you're spoiling her. I'm witnessing this like kind of very challenging child get more and more spoiled in front of my eyes, and I'm the fucking one who, when I'm here, I'm I'm this I'm secondary or tertiary to like just all her needs. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I didn't think, oh, I got that treatment. How did that change me? And I and I I you know realized that later and and i think my sister had to deal with with that too i think that i think it was even worse with her because my dad had joint custody of me my dad lost all custody of of her they had joint he tried to get full lost it all why was he not able to get any custody well if, you if you're ask, comfortable I, no 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 i mean if you ask him it's because 
uh, men are mistreated by the courtrooms in Virginia or West Virginia or wherever they did it. Uh, my mom testified against him. Now, here, here's, here's more like so much is is. My mom was more tight lipped when I was younger. My dad would always, you know, talk, share his side of the story. And I've come to doubt all of it. It's hard to even know what any of the facts are. But a perfect example is like my dad stopped talking to my mother in in its entirety because she testified against him at the hearing. Now, according to my mom, my dad was making claims in the hearing that their custody was smooth sailing, which part of me is like, who cares? But then she intimated that something about him proving that their custody would allow him to help get out of payments, alimony payments to to her. But if you go to my dad, you'll say, well, she remarried a fucking really rich man. He shouldn't be paying alimony payments. And that's bullshit to begin with. Uh, I, I, and and. And, and then my mom, like, she's like, my mom would talk like she was invested in my my little sister on my dad's side's, like, life. And I was like, shut the fuck up. No, you're not. Uh, so I, I do think, I'm not saying it helped me be happy, but it, it, it always made, I think I am a skeptical person because of it. Because I go, everyone is sharing their side of the story and it is so complicated and nuanced and uh, but in the beginning, my dad was was the good guy. He was the good guy, and um, he had a temper. We fought, but it wasn't until he had my my little sister that I really got to see the cracks and started kind of challenging him on things. And do you uh, think that helped you grow, or do you feel like that was un unhealthy? I, I, I don't I don't know what good growth is, because every time I consider growth, it usually comes from. From trauma, I, I think I like me. There, there's like two big. For me, growth is. My dad was a yeller. He's angry, huge. Never hit. Never saw him punch a wall. Was able to divide whatever that rage is between a physical expression of that rage. Thank God. Um, and it might be because his dad hit him. You know that that's what I I gather. So you but had was, two father figures in your life that you felt like you were walking on eggshells when they got. Yeah, to upset. a degree, very yeah. very different kind of of eggshells. My sometimes I look at my stepdad, I'm like, well, he didn't yell, but but I I had to listen to him. So if he said sit, stay in the living room, no TV, just be bored, and bo- boredom to me is is a, a kind of punishment in and of itself. But my dad would was would would yell, and and when we would fight, it very much the tra- trajectory of he would yell, I would yell louder, he would yell loudest, I would cry, and then maybe we'd part, and then he'd come and hug me, and and we would like I'd cry in his arms, and we would get closer, and so yelling to me or being angry and like actually unleashing the anger that I have has always felt to me like the maturation points for like, there's two incidences in my life and it's actually one with each, each parent. Um, I think my stepfather's was, was, was first. It was, uh, we, it ties into the phone call. We, we, we were at a beach house, I think in Delaware for my 14th birthday, I believe 14, 13. And my little sister on my stepdad's side, we have the same birthday. So it's also her birthday which just just adds to the, mm-hmm. the the heaviness of the day and i 
I wasn't able to reach my dad that day. And again, talking to my dad every day is, is it has to happen. It almost never doesn't happen. And especially for my birthday, it was very unusual. I couldn't. And is that by his desire or your desire or both? Both at this point. But I, th- I, think, at, I think at this point, like, I'm driving it. If he, I could see him slipping up a day, and, and but I was driving it. Okay, so there wasn't a feeling that you had to be your dad's emotional rock. No, okay. no. I, I think he, I was dependent on him, whether he okay. created that dependence. But you know, just this phone call and in a lot of, a lot of I love yous. We're also very physically affectionate, which uh, I used to think was an Italian thing. And I joke about it being an Italian thing. But I also think like. He was just a physically affectionate guy. So we, we kiss, a lot of kissing and, and hugging and, and on the lips. And I'm more physically affectionate with my father than I am with my mother a thousandfold. Mm-hmm. Um, so just a, just a lot there. And I, I always, one thing I really do hate about many things about society, but I also, f- I feel like people were uh, making fun of, um, who's that quarterback I couldn't give a shit about otherwise, who kissed his son on the lips? Uh, uh, the Patriots guy. Tom Brady? Tom Brady. Yeah. People make fun of him because he, he, him and his son kiss on the lips and people are like well, grossed how, how, out how by How old it. is, is uh, his son? Uh, I'm sure he's older now, but I feel like at the time people talked about it, he was like 12 or 14. Yeah. And it's just, it's just kissing in a way. I'm not a parent, way. so I, I can't weigh in on kind of – oh, I do it to my dad now. Right. I mean it's, it's, it's just natural. It's, yeah. it, for me, it's natural uh, sign of affection. Right. And I, I really loathe – uh, just the insinuation, like people are going like gross, and I'm like, oh, okay, so what are you saying that I'm fucking my dad? Like, what is it that you're saying? Right. right. Like, it's. I just think, especially in in America, we're so physically. I hate it, but yeah, and and I apologize if me asking those questions no, not is at insinuating all. that something is wrong or there's an age to to cut things off. I I, I don't know, but not I at imagine all. for a lot of people, there's a gray area in there of. Are you doing this for the dad? Is the kid comfortable with it? You know, it's it's it's. I think it's everyone has their own. Dried. Some yes. people will kiss their mom on the lips. Some people will do a kiss on the cheek. Some people only do a hug. I I mean, I think everyone has their own thing, and it's who knows how to trace it. Mm-hmm. I've always said Italian, mm-hmm. but 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 even at times, it's not it's not the same as what this is. At times, a lot of hugging and kissing on sure, the cheek, but sure. so. And, and cupping of the asses, cupping of the asses, bringing in little jerk, pelvis to pelvis. <laughs> The the most hurtful thing my dad said to me when I was really young, he was he was dropping me off at some class, and he had a girlfriend at the time, and I'm sure this fed into this, but I was like giving him a lot of kisses goodbye, mm-hmm. and like, and looking back, my therapist says I have mild OCD. Who knows? But I kept like I kept I would be like turn away, and then like one last kiss. I do it all the time, even when I leave. Uh, for the airport like I always like there's some kind of like let me go back for one more kiss just in case the plane crashes and when it's crashing I go well I did the one more kiss and my dad said oh my god you you kiss me so much it's like you're my girlfriend and like to me it was like I couldn't articulate at the time but I was like oh you just made my my love like dirty in some way it was probably the first time someone ever called me needy in its own in its own way and I was like what the fuck and it really bothered me. Um, and how old were you? It was young because I can barely place it. Must have been six, seven, eight. Wow, that's a terrible thing to. And, and I don't think he didn't yeah. say he didn't say it like that. He didn't say 
Ugh, it's like you're my girlfriend. He was just like, oh, oh, it's like it's like you're my girlfriend. I got and you. his girlfriend was probably there. And who knows? Maybe his girlfriend was like, God damn, you and your son kiss a lot. And he's like, oh, let me make a comment to diffuse this tension. I don't know. I got you. So I'm I'm in this like this beach house. It's the birthday. Haven't been able to reach my dad. And I'm feeling like anxiety. I'm like, in my mind, something I'm like, what if he's dead? What if a car accident? And again, this is this is before I did therapy when I was much younger, but but I had no one saying like, oh, you have obsessive thoughts or intrusive thoughts or try to take a breath. And um, it got to like 7 p.m., 8 p.m. It's really weird. And and my mom and stepdad, I'm sure, are like annoyed with me going like, I'm, I'm nervous. They're like, it's your sister's birthday. It's your birthday. Can we have a fucking good time? So we're playing some kind of board game. My my mom and stepdad are drinking as they're wont to do. Nothing crazy, but 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 drinking. My mom a little bit more. And um they get in some kind of argument. Who knows? They've been fighting this whole time. And my my stepfather says, uh, <clears throat> let's go in the car. We're we're gonna we're getting ice cream. And he said it like a threat. We're getting ice cream. To just you? No, to me and my sister. Okay. He he was separating himself from my mom. Gotcha. And I think I even might have said like, oh, I, I don't have to go or whatever because I was still waiting to hear from my dad. And uh, and I also, as I said, le- being with him alone, even if my sister was there, is him alone, was scary to me. My mom was kind of the intermediary between him. So we're going to the car. And my cell phone, like first cell phone ever, rings, and it's my dad. And I say to uh, my stepdad, I say, uh, "Oh, you, you I'm going to stay here. My dad's calling." And he he says, "He says, no, get in the car. Don't answer the phone." And I'm like, shook. Like he's strict, but but this is a. It felt like a crossing of a line to a degree. Mm-hmm. And I get in the car. I'm pretty sure my dad called again and again. He said something like, don't, don't pick up the phone. We're getting ice cream. And we're, we're in the car. We start driving to the ice cream place. My phone beeps because my dad left a voicemail. And, and he goes, fine. For, I'm for sure for all he, he's not very technologically literate. He probably thought it was a third call. And he said, uh, fine. Um, you can call your dad back. But I did not get you that phone to talk to that man. So add the detail. He is he's, he's the one who paid for the phone. You know, he's financially supporting. Uh, and I was like, I was filled with just a, a different kind of rage, like a, 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 a the kind of rage only after puberty you could achieve, just skin on fire. And part of me was like, if I told my dad what was happening given the whole history of this shit, he would have driven down to Delaware that night. He lives in Maryland. And and who knows? In my, in my mind, the anxiety was like, he'll come here and he might he might murder my stepdad if he knew what wrong was being done. And I talked to him for like a minute and then we got to the ice cream place and my stepdad looked over to me and was like, wrap it up. He mouthed, wrap it up. And uh, livid, just livid. And also in, the, in that moment, I, I think... I think I always go like, am I in the wrong? Is this justified? You know, I go back and forth. But like this rare moment was a moment in my life where I was like, it is my birthday. I'm talking to my father. I know. Who I was worried about. Who I was worried about. I know you are doing something bad right now. Told my dad, love you. We're at the ice cream. Got to go. I was like putting a little show for him. 
hung it up. My stepdad he took the phone or, or not, not that aggressively, but took it. I said, I'll be holding on to this for the rest of the trip. And my sister's in the backseat, by the way. It's her 10th birthday. And I turned to my stepfather and I said, you're just mad because my dad fucked your wife before you did. <laughs> and it was like, I'd never, I had never spoken back to this man at all, let alone in that tone, let alone about sex, let alone about my fa- I mean, it was like, it was like a, a, a secret thought that I knew, how do I fucking knock this guy out with words? And... And I think he was he was startled. He was just like taken aback. And again, thank God, none of these people were hitters, because I can see play. I can. That's a perfect time to hit your kid. <laughs> that's a perfect time to give them their first punch. And uh, you know, he he was like he was chastising me, but but I, I think he didn't quite know what to say. And we and we were with another family at the beach house. We were like doing it together. So they're all with us getting ice cream and he's trying to keep it under wraps. So, did you say that with people? No, out? no, it's oh, two different cars, oh, okay. two different cars. Okay. But my sister was there. Right. And, and then we like get back home. I know my mom's a little tipsy and I have this question of, will I tell my mom what happened? And I feel like there were much smaller incidences along the life where my stepfather would do something and the question was, do I tell my mom this thing? Um, and again, fucking, I know people have to deal with the shit for sexual abuse, but it, it was more just like, just like what I felt like was mistreatment. And if I told my mom, she might make the mistake of telling my stepdad and then suddenly I'm alone with my stepdad at the grocery store and he goes, so your mom told, and I'm like, what the fuck? You ratted me out. You made it worse. But I got back and I was I was so upset and and my mom, who was clearly drunk, was was like, "What's wrong? What's wrong?" And I I told her what happened. And their marriage must not have been in their divorce now. Um, their marriage must not have been in a, a great place. And and she just like started lashing out at him and said, "She said, if I got in the car right now, who do you think the kids would go with?" Like she's also they're at the level of just. Just the highest, the worst things you can say. And I'm, I'm there just bearing witness to it. And, um, and, and he was like, uh, said her name over and over, like, let's go up, upstairs and let's talk about this. Let's talk about this in private. And she was just like flailing and, and, and eventually physically she, flailing. Just, just like, just she was drunk and Lucy I and see. just like her arms theatrical were flailing, big. Not and, hitting anybody. Yeah, not hitting yeah. anybody, but just, but just like, it was scary. It was scary to witness a fight at this level where where your bodies were engaged, not hitting, but just. Right. And um, eventually she was like, fine. And they went up to, to the their bedroom. And my stepfather, who I now have a good relationship with, turned around and said to me, you're disgusting. And then left. And the guy that you had said, you're just. Yeah. Man. Okay. So your mom went up by yourself. Mom went up. He gotcha. went, and again, the moment she was far enough away, hmm. he turned around and then in that moment said, you're disgusting. And, and went into the room. My sister was sharing a room, is crying on the bed. It's her birthday too. And I, I remember though the feeling of, of standing, like I, I, as if my chest was out and just remembering the disgusting certainly didn't penetrate me. I didn't like cry in that moment. Like, oh, he called me disgusting. I felt like I, w- I, this, I was a man. You felt empowered. I felt empowered. I felt brave. 
I felt like proud of myself because I was like, I, cause I, I've been harboring all these things about my, my stepdad. And, and in that moment, I, I really felt, um, strong and, and, you know, for, this is where I mean, like for my sister who that's her dad, it's my stepdad, it's her dad. And she just witnessed her parents threaten each other. Mom threatened to like all mom basically threatened like I'm gonna get in the car and then what's then they have to make the decision between their two parents. Right. I mean like chaos and Which is an easy decision for you, but not for her. Easy for me, not for her. And and then the other family like graciously and I don't even know what their names are, but they graciously like came in the room and were like, let's watch TV. Like they they tried God knows. I, I would love to. Uh, what's that movie, Rashomon, where you see everything from everyone's different angles? Like right. that's that's one of the moments in my life where I'd like I would love to hear what their experience of that night was. Right. Um, and you know, you you can it it's those kind of choices that you get put in. You can contrast that. My mom and stepdad got divorced, and uh, years later. And I was in college and I was home and, and my mom was staying in the basement. He was upstairs because in Maryland, at the time at least, you had to be under two separate roofs for an entire year before you could file for divorce. My mom's not the, the breadwinner. She never she was a lawyer. My dad asked her to quit to raise me. Fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. She doesn't have the money. I, I imagine, again, here's the two sides of it. Her husband, who didn't want the divorce, doesn't necessarily want to give her a bunch of money to initiate the divorce proceedings. Or did she want a place that was like absurd given the circumstances? She was looking for places once. She said to me, she said, oh, this place is nice. It's not big enough for company. And I wanted to be like, get the fuck over the comp. You're leaving a, a marriage and there's chaos. Maybe you have a place that doesn't have as big a kitchen as you want to for a little but I hope I'm not rambling too much. It's 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 uh, one day my mom picked me up from a voice lesson and she said uh, he took all the money out of the joint account. We need to go home right now. And I think there was this game of chicken of who's going to pull the money out of the joint account, which is why even looking like I don't think I'll ever have a joint account in this way because I saw it weaponized in the worst way a human being can can do it. And we got back home, and my my stepfather had a wine cellar in the basement. He, he had money. He had a full full wine cellar. That was his thing. He collects wine. And my mom got the key from whatever shoe in whatever closet and started loading the wine into a car. Uh, the thinking being she was going to take the wine, which which I... You know, again, they went to court for this, but I believe whoever ruled that it was co-owned or whatever, mm-hmm. and um, started loading it into the car. And my mom's a, a strong woman; she's a Pilates teacher. But she asked me, "Would you help?" And it was it was like, and I didn't. And I I remember like this was. Years later, my stepfather and I had had a, a relationship, but it was like, it was a moment where I think sometimes I look back and I go like, 
this is who you are. You're you're a self-preservationist over a good son. Sometimes I look back and I say, your mom married your dad's former lawyer and put you in, left you in very uncomfortable situations and you had to adapt and adopt this family. And now all of a sudden, because she's unhappy in the marriage, she wants you to explode your relationship for this this quick thing but also he took the money out of out of the joint account isn't isn't that the declaration so of war it's so complicated and in that moment i just i just said i said no and ultimately my mom i believe got two carloads of of this wine and and leveraged those to to get what money she needed to move out but i remember i, I went in my room as downstairs my mom is loading this wine and I, I I don't know if I was I was texting with with a girlfriend at the time I I don't quite remember but I was like texting like a friend like giving them like what's going on I don't know what to do it's so stressful, um, and in my mind I'm like I I, I don't know if my stepdad's going to come home I don't know if he has a fucking security thing to the big wine cellar downstairs or if he just comes home from work and then what's going to happen and then what's I mean is he going to try to grab the like I had no idea. And um, I don't – I know my mom felt very bitter for, for a while after because my stepdad was financially helping me out. Um, and I think in my mom's mind, she felt, you know, from her perspective that her ex-husband, who's a smart lawyer, was putting her through the ringer and her own children – we're still visiting him for Thanksgiving. And it's an impossible ask. I mean, and it's different. Again, it's different for me and my siblings. I'm the only child from that first marriage. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't even you know, it's just a unique position and and my dad's exes I mean, I have I have my dad's uh, women that I was knew for years who disappeared from my life, and I think how in this, many? How many would you say? Oh my God! I mean, he had the the woman he had uh, my sister with. Uh, he was together with her for like a couple years, and they 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 got married, but it wasn't a legal marriage. They had a ceremony. I think it was for her sake. She got pregnant, accidental pregnancy, and. Maybe she wanted it for her family. I'm not 100% sure. Is there anything in your life that's simple? No. No. I mean, that's... No, not at all. But those women left my... That woman, because of that marriage, I called her my stepmom. You know, later my mom told me, she said, you know, she drops these little nuggets. You know that marriage wasn't real. And I was like, what? I wore a suit? I was the ring boy? And she 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 was like no it was a but but that woman was my was my stepmom and then and then one day again from my dad's perspective she she got pregnant towards the end of the pregnancy my dad's words she started acting crazy and she came from a traumatic household and it triggered things and suddenly she slept in the basement and one day she left and took the baby and my my dad she's crazy and looking back I'm like he probably cheated got caught as, as as is the cycle of all this shit and probably was a piece of shit i mean i hear i hear i hear stories about my dad man that that i don't want to know anymore because because the 
he he writes he used to write emails to my mom especially after he she testified against him and my mom would would forward these emails to me and my father would talk in this way where the same thing with like a troll online where if you met him in person you'd be like what happens to you you get on that screen and you you talk like this and my dad would say like you you'll 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 be in hell for for the evil that you are at your core you are wicked what because for him she took away his daughter she's the reason he had to beg someone to see his daughter and have his daughter be there for christmas this man whose whose father fucking left him impoverished and and who who couldn't ever be full time with his family this fucking to use his words this fucking bitch comes to testify for his custody battle with a whole other woman and now he can't see his daughter and 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 so for him that is evil and but but he's so emotional and so so unable to like look outside himself i i, I remember he had a surgery once and doesn't have any friends to come around and who came my little sister's uh, mother, his ex, my ex-stepmom, was at the surgery. And so there's this degree of, like, uh, he, he, he's fucked up, man. My dad is just fucked up. And he lashes out. I mean, he just, he just lashes out in a way that is is un untenable it it, it 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 destroyed relationships and he, and he cheats which i never experienced i didn't know about it when i was a kid so i never i never had the moment of like being able to be like did you did did the girl that the woman who was here that i loved who read me bedtime stories leave because you stuck your dick in some fucking what i, I didn't ha get to have that moment in the moment so it's it's hard i just look back on it Almost with, with a shrug. So how do you think these things have affected? Have you ever done therapy? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I did like some therapy when I was younger, and I, I really found it. I feel like they were just bad therapists. I, I, not that I was like a good I, I didn't understand what was going on, but they it didn't it didn't click. And so and, and then my my dad has been seeing the same therapist for three days a week so for like, you know, forever. And I sometimes have a, a fantasy that it's like that movie. Um what's the one where he stabs her in the shower? Psycho. Psycho. That like one day I'd I'd open the room and it's a skeleton in a suit and my dad has been talking to no one three times a week because because my view was was how could this man be in therapy? Yes. Who or is this, Why is, this is an nothing idiot? getting better? Why is nothing getting better? And and my step grandfather, uh, his it's more complicated there, but would always say to me like Your family tree is like a nuclear plant yeah. blueprint. Yeah, yeah. I, I say on stage it's a pile of firewood. It's just like all these divisions, all all these skewed relationships. And um so so I dated someone in in college and uh she was an actor I was an actor and we became really close 
ultimately I, I wasn't going to get married young or anything. So we, we kind of set a clock to our relationship post-graduation. And when she left, I was, I was like, she left you. It, it was like, I, we agreed to split. I, I was the initiator of the plan to split. Then we split, stayed in touch very much. I was still very much emotionally dependent on her. And then one, I remember in the beginning, she'd go on dates, call me crying. Like, I still, you know, I still miss you. And I'd be like, it's okay. You're going to move on. Everything will be fine. And then one day she met someone she fell in love and like had to cut me out. And I was just a wreck. I was a wreck. And th this leads me to um, ultimately I had a friend who kind of, we all went to college together and she had basically cut me out of her life fully. Like I no communication. And it was very hard at the time. And uh, my friend was like, if you go to see a therapist, I will talk to her to see if, you know, maybe you can have some kind of just like communication. And ultimately, I don't think I took that offer. Mm -hmm. I didn't go to therapy for, for a while. And then eventually one year later, I just I think I found a place called the White Institute in New York. And it was some woman getting a degree. So the therapy was dirt cheap. And I was because my income at the time was mm -hmm. zero. So I saw her twice a week, hour, 15 minute each session for $30, $30 a week. I mean, truly astounding. And, and we've, we've, we've been together uh, ever since. And now we do like once every two weeks, it hasn't gone back. You know, we moved to zoom for COVID has not gone back. I do carry a lot of skepticism about zoom therapy, but she was, she is a great, I just, I, I lucked out that I like felt like the first person I was assigned. I just clicked with and, um, you know, the beginning of the therapy, the first year or two were very much about like this ex and this kind of like what she represented to me. And, you know, like all, all good Freudian therapists, she was mm -hmm. like, is it your ex or is it your mom? Right. And there, uh, there's, there's a saying in, uh, if it's hysterical, it's historical. Uh huh. Uh huh. And and yeah, I'm still I'm still in in therapy once every two weeks. I I do couples counseling. Um, and uh, big big fan of big fan of therapy. Though you know, the more popular it gets, the more it's 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 an art. And sometimes you see it is. It people is. who and shouldn't be some, practicing. There that. are some very bad therapists out there, and there are some life-changing, amazing therapists. And yeah. I feel like I've been lucky uh, to have more of the latter than the the, the former. Yeah. And I'm uh, very, very uh, grateful for it. So what are some of the, uh, if any, some of the things that are unhealthy? Let's forget about the, the other people in your life. Let's look at your patterns of behavior and thinking and actions. Are there any that you've been able to identify? Um, I don't know. I can't, I can't think of any offhand to say is, you know, is this, is this the case or, or not? Um, you know, for instance, as I then offer one, one of the things that is kind of textbook 
with people who grew up in really complicated emotional environments where you never knew if love was going to be taken away is it's either difficult to commit in a relationship or we're super needy and, you know, always looking for some sign that they've got a foot out the door. Uh, I, I would say I would say difficult to commit but then also very very intense and and cuz they can be both yeah 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 i my 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 girlfriend um and we're about to have our third anniversary that i don't have a gift for yet and how do you feel about her getting ready to leave you <laughs> but but you know she she grew up in a chabad community mm-hmm. and i think there's there's similarities between the and this is a critical thought of the the stunted childhood of growing up in that insular community mm-hmm. and me and, having, and that's like a really orthodox yeah really orthodox so shut in a branch a of hasidic it's yes. it, yeah yeah and it's you know it's it's there's a lot of community but you're also isolated and and ultimately you she left and I was think she ostracized like, for leaving. No, no, not like that. It's not. Yeah, not not exactly like that. Um, but started the entered the world a little stunted, similar to the way that I entered the world a little stunted by having kind of a depressed dad who stayed home all the time. We both had to learn how to dress better for very different reasons. But I think like. Or, or like, you know, the kind of shit food I had at my dad's is the same way that like in that community, they also didn't have a lot of money. It was just like, it's just like, I think we both just started with, with, uh, without the enrichment or the understanding of the world. We had to learn. We had to like grow up and felt like we were a little behind in certain ways, did, I think. Did it help that you had each other and you both, were you both conscious of this or is this kind of something you see in hindsight? I see in hindsight more. And I just think that's why we're like, I think that's why we, partially why we see the world the way that we do. I think we just, you know, we, we just share a lot of points of view and a, a way of, we're critical of, of a lot of things in the world and institutions in the world because I think, she was in this community, left this community, sees different angles of things, and I see different angles because of everything I just said. So, so I just, I just think like when I was a when I was younger, I always felt like if I saw ran into a fellow child of divorce, I always would claim like I was like, we just get along. I think like there's something, and I, I really think there's some some perspective that you get, whether it's divorce or whether it's trauma or whether that that you just click and you can talk about things in a way that it's easier to get close to them she would say that i'm commitment phobic for sure i would say i'm a realist about relationships and i sometimes loathe whenever people like express this intense romance in a way that i might feel more hesitant to or get married I, and then they get divorced later. I want to be like, you see, it was bullshit. It was bullshit before. You see, we we all we all gathered and we said this 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 vow, but it's bullshit. So so what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to I'm supposed to play the pretend game. I also think I'm I'm very much like what I hate about relationships 
is the idea that you're together or you break up and many people are like you are you no longer speak to that person ever again and i think part of that is that i had literal f- women who were family members to me one literally a stepmom and others just just family yeah. you know no word for it and then they leave and and i literally never see them again and i'm supposed to just just like keep going on I mean, no funeral even. At least when someone dies, you have a fucking funeral. Right. But when your dad cheats on some woman, she's just gone. And and so it definitely it it in one way did did it did it give me a am I commitment phobic or or Mark Maron had some the classic line of like you know am I depressed or do I just like see the world for what it is and and I do feel like that with things like marriage and whatnot i'm slower i'm hesitant and i think rightfully so i i would agree i was married for you know over two decades and uh, my ex and i are friendly with each other but i think that has more to do with the fact uh the manner in which we separated mm-hmm. not that it was perfect and there weren't you know hurt feelings or whatever but an effort was made to try to be decent Mm-hmm. to each other and i think at least from my perspective that is that the character of the people going through a struggle even if it's you versus that person that is more important than the institution of marriage or divorce the manner in which you you go about it can yeah. you put your you know your hurt aside and and even more importantly can you separate in a way where you are trying to do the right thing rather than what you can get away with? Of course. And 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 I the thing is that with with when it comes to the kids, it just sometimes it feels Im- impossible. I, I watched what was that fucking movie? Marriage it was Marriage Story on Netflix. It was Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I felt frustrated. It's like when you watch something that you're too close to, you can't help but feel all the inaccuracies. Yeah. But I think I think part of what that movie did well, or at least the the thing of it was like these were well intentioned people, right. and just by the end it was a war. Yeah, and and, especially when you consider people are coming from complex backgrounds with a lot of baggage, and boy, is there any bigger trigger than your money, your love life, and having to move? Those mm-hmm. are the three most, and the death of a loved one is the is the other one, the major things that stress people out. Yeah. So you've got three of the big four uh-huh. going on. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So I, I think I live life defensively when it comes to like relationships and emotions, and you know, I I just I, f- I find myself disenchanted so deeply with with a lot of the 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 regular marriage. Kids kids feel so complicated to me because. I mean, marriage ultimately to me, it's it's not anything. It's it's mm-hmm. cute. You want to have a party? That's nice. It's like kids is where it's complicated. Prenup. I mean, money's one thing. Figure out the prenup, but for kids, yeah, what's the pre the the pre kid? Like, what's that's the thing you should be mapping. I mean, we 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 map you map finances of in case of a split. Mm-hmm. Are you mapping how you're going to raise the kid in case of a split? Are you preparing for that moment? I don't know if you can, which is a realistic question, but a lot of people would be, well, that's not very romantic. Sure. Sure. 
I, I think that's like I always have fantasy. I think I have some fantasy of like living in a commune and everyone raises each other. And my girlfriend will point out that the thing that I'm edging towards is a Chabad community. That like sometimes I I look at like insular communities. I'm like, oh yeah, that that's what I want. <laughs> in its but own you way. don't want the orthodox, not the orthodox version. I want some hippy dippy version right. and uh, where you can wear shorts. Um, <laughs> but but just because I didn't have that family. I'm like, oh, I, I want to be able to, I, I, I want that at the same time that I also feel like, oh, if I want a family, why the fuck am I going to enter this this proven to be a potentially disastrous uh, a system of these two people and you have a kid and... Not even to mention bringing a child into the state of affairs that the world is today. Of course, I don't climate I, change. I don't know if parents when people have kids I'm like did you did you like did you google <laughs> is New York uh above water in 10 years? Do you know? Do you know the answer? Like I'd have to do some research. Yeah. And and especially in a world if, I, if I'm going to have a kid, I mean my only thought is like well I better my girlfriend and I both say this we're like well if we're going to have kids, we got to be rich. And and it, you know it, it goes counter to all my my socialist leanings, but there's a degree of like yeah the world's it feels like the world's collapsing to a degree, and when when some of the states start sinking underwater, you better have money to get yeah. that prime real estate in Cleveland yeah, where I the mean, water is far away. Yeah, and I mean wealth inequality is fucking real and getting worse. It's it's like we're going back to the Gilded Age at the end of the 19th century when four people owned everything. And workers had very few rights, and there were trusts and uh, you know monopolies. And it really feels like today I'm going to try to not go down a, a political rabbit hole, but um, it feels like the antitrust laws are are just you know got dust on them. <laughs> it feels like none of them. You hear these acquisitions, and you're like, well, surely if, if this must be a monopoly, right? Whenever politicians say have more kids like as a casual thing that makes me want to scream the idea that some politician would be like have a kid like get the fuck out of here create the fucking conditions right to let people i mean it is insane the chutzpah that it would take for someone to tell a group of people why don't you have kids right i won't do anything to help but have them sure sure so that that when i look at the chart the number's a little higher and i go whoo yeah fuck it fuck all of them and your podcast is called The Downside. Yes. Right? And you yes. talk about the things that, that that piss people off. I want to be a guest. I, I'd, love to, I'd love to have you. When, when you're in New York, let me know. But yeah, I someone said with the podcast, like, what kind of space are you ready to be in? What, what, what when you're in a bad mood, are you going to be okay doing for an hour, an hour and a half? And because podcasts are just all about consistency mm-hmm. and i was like well i'm i, I like to I, usually i'm in a i get in a bad mood i want to complain and it was like that's i wanted to create that space where i didn't feel like i had to be shiny or uh i i i sometimes would tell people like it's like the opposite of of pete holmes show mm-hmm. where it's like pete holmes would would take your be try to bring the spirituality out of you and i would try to poke holes in in the spirituality and hope that you join me and we and it's it yeah I I really love I I've always I've never regretted the premise of the podcast. Do you ever feel like it, or have any of your friends ever said to you that um, it's it's corroding your life not having something to counter that? Um, 
Well, I think I think I'm I'm the classic that I I scratch a cynic and there's a disappointed optimist underneath. Like I I do think I have I have a romantic side. I have a uh you know, I was an actor before I was a comedian. So like I I can tap into the fruitiest thoughts you could think of. It's but it's it's detached from any particular institution. But like I can still be moved and and I can still like be be swayed and enjoy things. Mm-hmm. Um, like I I I think it is healthy and even logical <laughs> to to have very little faith in institutions. But I think it's very dangerous to have no faith in people. I think it's mm-hmm. I think it's okay to know that there are many many people who are unworthy of trust. Um, but people that go through life and feel that everybody is that way um i don't know i think is sad mm-hmm. i think it's sad um and i think we we as human beings need to understand the difference between allowing someone to be flawed and being a doormat for somebody who's toxic and i don't think i can articulate where that line is, where one moves into the other. But I think that is the challenge of life. Sure. But it's, I mean, you, you take my father as an example of someone where like it's, it's very challenging to not be a, a, a doormat or to not be, to not bow at his every whim means you can't really, he can't participate in your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's, he lives in Maryland. I live in New York and like, impossible for him to visit or impossible for him to like like remember details of my life to facilitate a conversation there's but then recently he had a he had a uh, heart surgery in 2020 and really our most emotional moments because we have this deep primal kissing from the time i was stayed in the bed we have a deep primal thing and he's had a a couple medical things and suddenly i'm there with this guy who i can barely talk on the phone with for more than five minutes without going crazy and our our heads are foreheads are pressed against each other and we're crying and i'm telling him it's going to be okay it's going to be okay and it's it's it really is hard because he has so many traits that are it's never changing and you want to talk right. about you want to talk about a, a degree of cynicism or realism there's right. certain aspects of my father where i'm like your brain's only going is is only going to start fading to a degree and these like your in, incredible inability to remember details about my life or to be involved or to to not lash out at people it's only going to get worse and and i am stuck with this burden of loving you mm-hmm. But but hating every aspect about you. It's, yeah, I was going to say it sounds like you love them and you hate them. And and it's I I am thankful that my my little sister is is the only is the only person who's in the same position. And listen, I Do you get along with her. Uh, yeah, I think I think there's a bigger age gap. I, I think we don't we're very very different. But we're allies. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I love her and we're allies and, and, and she, I'm not saying she hates everything about my dad, but she's, we, we both have, are dealing with the same, same guy. And, uh, I am overwhelmed by the thought of what taking, what, how we're going to handle him later in life. He can't even hear, but won't get a hearing aid. And like, like, like every, everything, everything. And I, I, my cynical or my fear is that it's just like our life is just our points of contact are every, every illness, every surgery. And I go rush down. And in that moment, the onus is on me to forgive uh, everything Mm -hmm. so that I can be a good son and, and give him love because I can understand that all he feels is fear. And, and knowing that, and this happened a long time ago of like, he can never be that to me again. If I'm scared, if I need that, that overseer, I, I don't have any parental figures in my life. Would it be fair to say that history shows that you show up for him, but he's very inconsistent at best at showing up for you? Yeah, I think in I think in certain ways like he has the he has the phone number to my heart that like I had a, a my cholesterol was a little high, my CT count, basically some medical stuff we were figuring out. Everything's fine. But it was like it was like the beginning of your heart's going to be something that's going to have to be thought about now. You're 35. Mm-hmm. Right. And I started to have freaking out and like he's still able to he can say to me, devoid of any kind of facts, it's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. And it it touches, you know, something inside that makes me go like, okay, I needed to hear that. And he's got the fucking passcode. But everything else. And and I think it's it's hard when you don't. When, when I think when you have divorced parents, you see your parents behave like regular human beings earlier than I think some people see it. I think some people, they find it in their 20s, their parents are regular people. I feel like I found out at such a young age, yeah. and I had some teachers along the way who became mentors, and ultimately they abused their power, or or it fell apart, and you realize they were just people, right. and they were just an acting teacher trying to like make a buck, or a voice teacher who's just trying to keep a student on the on the line, and and then and then you hit an age where you go like fuck, I don't, I I I, I fantasize about having like an older person who I who who I don't who I. <laughs> respect is it's more than respect it's it's like look up to and who cares about me and it's it's kind of like i might not have that and so then you have to look at your fucking peers and your friends and your your lover and and try to not lean on them too much because the relationship you have with a parent is is you need more than because it's a parent to child i can't expect that from a a girlfriend i can't expect that from a friend and so then you have to constantly self-regulate in between therapy and self-care, try to – and then mourn the fact that you don't have that older person that you go like, oh, they they can see something I, have a I rock. can't. I have a rock. And that sucks. It does. Mm-hmm. It does. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, the same as you know, it's, it's hard – I mean, back to that America's Got Talent thing to be like, well, I'm fine. I'm very functional. 
Right. I've always been – I'm the kind of depressed person who can still get to the gym. Every depressed. Like I, I, I thrive on action and, and getting things done. So, you know, I – it's it's just – it's it's just feeling like i didn't have a fully full family and and the effects of that are just constant yeah and uh i'm lucky i'm closer to my my siblings now i think you know there's always dynamics to figure out there but i feel like a couple of years ago there was a moment of like oh my sisters are human beings and we went through this experience together and we understand each other and and there's unconditional uh, love there yeah but but i think just that that loss of of the parent mm-hmm. uh shaped me in, in all the ways that i am anything else you uh you'd like to share with us before i feel like we covered a lot i always had this fantasy of of when my friends start getting divorced and it's already happening of like being like being the one to like to come into the custody hearing and I slap both of them and I'm like, you guys need to wake the fuck up. This is not helping anybody. Right. You guys are, you guys need to fucking get out of here. And like, and then I, I, you know, people just fall in the same patterns. You, you, you can tell them, you can give advice, but I, I do in my, in my fantasies of ways that like I can somehow be a, a good, useful person. It's this idea of like, I could, help just help people getting divorced with kids understand like you are shooting yourself in in the foot and you're shooting your kid in the foot and you you are just making it so much so much worse depending on how they're handling it depending on how they're handling it of yeah. course but so many so many Cause and think- it starts nice and then you hear your layer like yeah, he's doing this and she's doing this. And you're like, fuck, man. It's like, it's the inescapable pull of, of resentment. Yeah. I think I think it's almost doomed when each of them get a lawyer rather than attempting mediation. Sure. Yeah. Well, buddy, thanks for, it was really nice meeting you. Good to meet you and, too. And uh, uh, if people want to find you, where where can they find you? I'm at everywhere. It's at my name, at your Marco Cerezi. And uh, my podcast is called The Downside with Gianmarco Cerez. You can get it anywhere or watch it on YouTube. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Be sure to uh, check his special out. He's a, he's a really funny guy. Let's take a quick break and see if we have any sponsors. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence Survey, and this is filled out by Juniper, and they write about their ADD. It's like I'm always defeated by the clock about their anxiety, like a bunny being held tight, terrified with a racing heart, but with no expression. The person holding the bunny can feel the heartbeats, but has no idea what to do about it. So it keeps on holding it even tighter. Wow. Wow. This is from uh, a trans woman who calls herself Moon-Shaped Pool believe uh, she's filled out some surveys before and this is the uh, shouldn't feel this way survey how would you like people to think of you i would like people to consider me a good person someone who's safe to open up to and rely on an amicable 
and lovable human being, someone who's light and positive, a beacon of goodness. How does I feel writing that? I feel as though some people perceive all of the good stuff about me, but the ones closest to me know how I can be. Dark, broody, sad, negative, jealous, sulky. I wish I could be better. I also struggle to see the good things in myself. How would you use a time machine? I would visit my younger self pre-transition and talk to him, see how much he thought about trans-related things, give him some guidance and a big hug, let him see how things can really change. I'd spend a lot more time with my grandmother. She passed away during quarantine, quarantine in the parentheses, not COVID-related, and I feel like I wasted a lot of precious time. I'm supposed to feel excited about my achievements, but I don't. I just... I just pass them by and move on to the next thing. I'm supposed to be excited about the good things that happen to me and even others, but I don't. I feel next to nothing. Only the bad things weigh on me. I'm supposed to feel proud and strong about my trans identity, but I don't. Sometimes I still mutter my name under my breath to people as I introduce myself. I'm supposed to be excited about the future and what it may hold, but I don't. I struggle with finding a point to continue to exist. This year I was suicidal, and while I'm not anymore some days, I still have to convince myself that things will be okay in the future. I'm supposed to believe my friends love me and care about me always, but I don't. I feel as though everyone forgets about me as soon as they lose all immediate contact with me. I'm supposed to be interested and excited about sexual stuff, but I don't. Hormone replacement therapy lowered my libido considerably, and I've discovered my trauma surrounding sexuality runs much deeper than I thought. Sex is a triggering topic most of the time for me now. How does it make you feel writing your real feelings out? It's heavy. I don't know what to do with all of these feelings and issues I struggle with. I really don't know what the right thing to do is in order to heal. I feel lost and overwhelmed. I want to be better. I want to feel better. Do you think you're abnormal for feeling what you do? Sometimes I do. I feel very alone in what I experience. Would knowing other people feel the same way make you feel better about yourself? Yeah, a little bit. Well, let me assure you that what you are feeling inside is very, very universal. And I don't say that to say, well, it's easier than you think it is. I I just want to let you know that feeling confused and overwhelmed while you heal is fucking textbook. It is nonlinear. It is confusing. It is ungraceful. It uh, runs over budget and over time. And those are all opportunities for you to be compassionate with yourself about the process of healing. I don't know anybody who walked through healing and growing and all of those other things with ease, comfort, and grace. I've yet to meet somebody. So sending you some love. And speaking of loves, this is from the love survey filled out by Sassafras. And uh, they write, when we built our house, we put in these trees. I think they're alders or maybe aspens. And when the wind blows, the leaves rustle and make the most soothing sound. I love these trees. 
I also have a large extended family, and when the larger group comes together every every few years for a reunion or anniversary or birthday party, the most amazing magnification of love happens. I can hardly describe it, but it makes my heart swell. I love these people. I love that one. I've always been jealous of people that have large extended families that, that live together or get together and... And there's a palpable joy. I mean, I love my family and I love some of my extended family, but they don't live near me. And um, that must be an amazing feeling. I'm glad, I'm glad that you can appreciate it. Uh, finally, the smell of tomato vines is my absolute favorite. It's like chlorophyll and life, and there is nothing better. Thank you for that. This is from the Fears survey, and this is filled out by... Uh, a guy who calls himself Patrick, and I believe this is the Patrick that I know, who is part of our Sunday support group slash Zoom hangout. It's uh, for those of you that don't know, it's for people uh, who are Patreon donors at the twenty dollar and above level. And there's about twenty of us that uh, that get together uh, every Sunday, and it's a really safe, supportive environment. And Patrick is a big part of it. And so uh, this is what he wrote. Uh, this was a fear and love survey I did in the Discord. There, there's also a Discord server for uh, people in the group. After a good nosedive into depression, I countered it with a love to see both sides. It was a great outlet to release these feelings. Thanks, Paul and friends, for setting this all up. I fear that one day, a day just like today, I see it coming from two days away. Start feeling restless, maybe anxious, just smile and hustle to appease. And then you wake up that morning knowing it's all wrong. Nothing's okay. And all you want to do is not exist. You think that nothing matters. And let's be honest, it doesn't. Then you hear a little song on your Discovery Weekly Spotify playlist. You play it again and again on your drive home. You start singing along by the third replay. By the fifth, you are crying. By the seventh, you start to feel and you remember. This is the dark. You've been here before and you can do it again. It was easy. I love a song that splits you right to the core at the exact moment. A song that pulls at you and shakes you around a bit when you can't move. A song that reminds you to remember. A song that lets you know that you are not alone, crying in your car, Driving 55 on the Pacific Coast Highway. And so on. Awesome, Patrick. This is from the uh, Voice in Your Head survey, filled out by Vanessa. And she writes, uh, so what are some of the things you tell yourself about yourself? You don't actually feel guilt. You know you should feel guilty. Those are different things. You don't actually do things for altruistic reasons. You do things other people view as kind because you're imitating behaviors from others. You don't actually love anyone. You love that you benefit from them and that they make you happy. You don't actually care. You're empty inside. There is no you. There is a body that moves and a voice that repeats phrases on cue and that takes actions. There is not a person who has wants, likes, dislikes, fears, that loves and cares and feels guilt and grows. This thing people call you is a fabrication. 
The same way the human mind fills in gaps and pictures to construct a complete one, other people fill in the lack of substance to create a construct of a thing they call Vanessa. Vanessa does not exist. Vanessa stopped existing when she was shot at school as an eight-year-old. Whatever woke up in that hospital is not Vanessa. Something far less present and grounded than a person opened the eyes that were hers. That is you, to whatever degree there is a you at all. Wow. Wow. I really, really hope that you are talking to a therapist. I mean, man, that sounds like PTSD. There, there's an amazing book called uh, What It's Like to Go to War by Carl Marlantes. And I believe it's in his book. It might be in another book uh, about uh, a vet dealing with PTSD. But they talk about, a therapist talks about a combat vet who came in and described how a moment when he was killing a dozen people, mowing them down with a machine gun, he felt like he is no longer in his body and that he is standing next to his body and has never gotten back in it. And he was saying to the therapist in the session, I am sitting right next to me and I don't know how to get back in my body. And what you just wrote, Vanessa, reminds me of that. And um, there are a lot of modalities that work for people who are combat veterans and there's EMDR, there's somatic experiencing, and I don't know, I'm just throwing them out there. I don't know if they would work for you, but I think it would be worth trying and uh, just sending you some love. This is uh, from the Voice in Your Head survey filled out by Chrissy. And what are some of the things you tell yourself about yourself? You're ugly. You don't deserve love or affection. You were a dirty slut. You should die. You don't deserve to be happy. Fucking loser. You have no friends. Your past messed up your future. When you die, you'll probably go to hell or whatever black hole will suck you up into nothing. Your sister and her friends look at you with disgust. Why did you do this to yourself? Man, that is heavy. Any comments to make the podcast better? More comments on little Gracie's day-to-day life as a human stuck in a dog's body. Well, she doesn't have the ability to talk to me, but I I see a lot of frustration in her. The other day I walked into the kitchen and she was on her hind legs trying to use the blender. And as most of you know, uh, those buttons, they're pretty narrow. And she just, with the pads of her foot, she couldn't get it to puree. And I could see... I could see the frustration in her eyes. Um, Sometimes it's something simple like her using the wrong fork for her salad. 
knowing that she was she was supposed to start from the outside in. And uh, sometimes the way she'll she'll give up in the middle of a crossword puzzle and uh, just start chewing it. This is from the Shame and Secret survey. This is filled out by an agender person who refers to themselves as a rumination nation. I think we've read some of their surveys before. They identify as asexual. Uh, they're in their 20s, say that they were raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, was uh, the victim of abuse and reported it, and also was the victim of abuse, uh, sexual abuse, and never reported it. Uh, and they write, I was sexually abused by a couple of men while growing up. Uh, they've been physically and emotionally abused, but don't go into any detail. Uh, what are your darkest secrets? When I was a teenager, I regu regularly hung out with Sam, in the parentheses, not their actual name. They told me that they were 18 when we met, and I never questioned it. Over a year after meeting and a few months after I turned 18, we were sexually involved. I didn't want to have sex with Sam, but I didn't know how to turn them down either. A few months or so later, they were in a long-term treatment facility, and they started to realize their story wasn't lining up. I told them I was confused, and they confessed that they had lied about their age when we met because I seemed older, and they wanted me to think they were cool. I panicked and said I had figured that out because I didn't want to seem so naive slash vulnerable. Oh, I think that's what they were saying. Uh, they didn't want to think. Uh, I genuinely didn't know. I was too afraid to ask them how old they actually were. I still don't know how old they were when we had sex. This was about seven years ago. If they told me, I can't remember. What I do know is that I was 18 and it's likely they weren't. It haunts me. I was sexually abused for years as a kid and had sex with anybody who asked when I was a teenager. Saying no terrified me. I pretended to be exploring my sexuality because I desperately wanted that to be the case, but it ultimately resulted in uncomfortable situations. The situation with Sam is one of the worst for me because my obsessive rumination tells me that by potentially touching a minor, I am just like the men who touched me as a kid. I am so afraid that I will get in trouble for an accident and serve time, something my abuser, abusers have not even done themselves. I'm afraid that I'll be tortured or raped in prison. I'm afraid that I will lose the relationships I have built. I'm afraid of being deemed irreparable. I try to rationalize it. I didn't know they were younger than me. I didn't want to touch them to begin with. I never would have if I had known. Maybe they were 18 too, etc. It doesn't help. The feelings of terror still exist. I feel that I am bad, that the guilt is warranted, that I'll lose everything if word gets out. I don't want to think about it anymore. It's done and over. I simply want them, wherever they are, to be all right these days. And I want to be all right too. I want to forgive myself. I don't know how. And that's, that's the end of, uh, of their survey. And, um, oh, uh, no, I'm sorry. There's, there's a little bit more. Have you shared these things with others? A couple of people close to me know about the situation with Sam, including my partner. My partner says it isn't my fault because I didn't know. I still feel I should have known better. How do you feel after sharing these things? Anxious and overwhelmed. I think 
your partner hits it right on the head. You didn't know. You didn't know. But I can understand how a ruminating brain takes anything that's potentially negative and weaponizes it. And it sounds like that's what's going on with your brain. This is from the love survey filled out by Anonymous. And they write, I started working from home a little under a year ago. I found a series that plays most of the day on a free TV app that came with my television. What started as background noise while I worked has become something close to a saving grace. The show is Dr. Quinn, medicine woman, and I've become a little obsessed, but it truly brings me so much joy. I've seen just about every episode in the eight months since I've discovered. Uh, I never understood when a close friend of mine used to get so attached and enthralled with a TV show, but now I understand. It's definitely an escape from things like my depression and sometimes even hypomania. Whenever, whenever I feel like I'm slipping, I turn Dr. Quinn on and smile, daydreaming about visiting Colorado Springs and being a patron of Hank's Saloon and Lauren's Convenience Store. I'm so happy I came across this show. I love that. I love that. And I got to meet uh, Jane Seymour when I was doing dinner and a movie. She came on when we were showing that uh, movie she did with Christopher Reeves called Somewhere in Time. And uh, I think she was a little annoyed with me because I was kind of making fun of the, the movie. I dressed up like uh, it was the 1800s. And uh, I think she was a little taken aback by it. But she was very nice. And I was a dick. This is uh, from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a guy uh, who calls himself When Will I Thrive? He is identifies as straight, possibly a romantic. He's in his 40s says that he was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. I've never been sexually abused, but he's been physically and emotionally abused. Uh, Dad loves me dearly, but struggled with his temper and his own insecurities. This led to insults and occasional hitting. Also, he loved to tell me why my ideas were flawed rather than support me. Constant verbal abuse my whole life for being weird and for people thinking I'm gay. The amount of times people would openly say something to the effect of you're gay while having a gay old time putting me down, excluding me, and generally making me dislike many, many people. Any positive experiences with abusers? Absolutely. My dad is a sweetheart, even though he's also a snarky a-hole much of that time. It's complicated because I know he has his own struggles and because he always provided for my family and worked his ass off because he can be so warm and understanding. And what a great example that is of the complexity of, of human beings and how they can be so seemingly... Uh, Like, where's the, where's the real them? Darkest thoughts. I'm often depressed by other people's existence and feel like some people are a waste of skin because of how sad their lives must be and because of how stupid they are. Darkest secrets. Probably just my intrusive thoughts. Pick any combination of people, places, and things you're not supposed to think about and combine them in the most inappropriate way and voila, I'm sorry, it's probably pronounced, is it voila or voila? 
Uh, you have my intrusive thoughts. Incestuous, violent, humiliating, disgusting. Bingo. I know I don't need to say this, but I do not enjoy these thoughts. I feel trapped with them. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. So lame. I just want to have exciting sexual encounters with a variety of gorgeous women. Vanilla as fuck. And then that is the... Uh, no, God damn it. My printer accidentally printed on both sides. And so I am uh, struggling reading these surveys. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? To my eighth grade social studies teacher, Mr. Nick who we drove to a nervous breakdown. Holy shit, man, I'm so, so sorry. I didn't realize how hard life is and how cruelty can ruin everything. What, if anything, do you wish for? To enjoy things, especially my work, the way I see other people happily doing so. Have you shared these things with others? Yes, I'm lucky to have some similarly sick people in my recovery journey who I can really be honest with. How do you feel after writing these things down? Maybe like 2% better. I'll settle for that. I'll settle for that. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? There are people out there who you can be honest with and who will understand. Amen. Hey, fucking man. And then finally, these are some loves filled out by Tired and Hungry. And they write... I've started working with a nutritionist due to an autoimmune issue that I have. My nutritionist wants me to take 10,000 steps a day, in parentheses, so cliche. So I've started taking a morning walk in my neighborhood to get a solid start to my steps. On the path of my walk, I get to see a vine that's growing up along the edge of a fence. I love seeing whatever new state the vine is in that day, a little longer, a little taller, pointing in a different direction with new leaves up at the top and more mature leaves along the bottom, checking in with the vine every morning and saying hi as I pass has become my favorite part of my new morning routine. Love it. Thank you for that. If you're out there and... uh, you're feeling stuck, you're feeling like you can't find your tribe or nobody understands. Uh, I don't believe that's the truth. I used to think that, and I'm so glad I asked for help uh, because I don't feel alone now. And it's a nice feeling. Not that I don't ever struggle or get depressed or anxious, but um, I don't feel like I did 20 years ago. And... Um, Just remember you're not alone, and thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.